Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chi Zhang, a culture writer and critic. And this week we're discussing The Flight Attendant in Overly Hyped Caper and Lupin, a high show that deserves all the hype. Hell yeah. Uh, but before we get into it, Helen, tell me, what's going on in your world? Uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk about this without talking about all the shit that's happened this week. So yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I have been continuing the streak of cooking really good meals. Um, I actually watched Pieces of a Woman the other day and it further put me off the path of motherhood. Oh, okay. Um, which, you know, if you ever, if you want to watch something that convinces you to never get pregnant, that's, that's the film for that. How about you? How's your week been? I did not watch that film because I do not want to sink into a depressive spiral. But yeah, I've been enjoying some nostalgia rewatches. So I just watched uh, Pirates of the Caribbean again for the first time in years. Um, I actually Lovely. subscribed to Disney Plus for this film. Amazing. I know. They got me. They got me into their fucking... Ugh, I'm going to cancel after a month. But in the meantime, I'll enjoy all these films again. But you say that, but so much shit is coming out in the next couple of weeks. What are you going to oh do? God. I know. I guess I'll reassess. What are you going to do when I'm like, oh my God, one division? And you're like, <laughs> fuck, fuck, resubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so enjoying that. And yeah, it's. I feel like it's been kind of slow in, in TV and of course film lately. Um, so it's like a good time to sort of dip back into the classics yeah. or the things that do some little rewatches. Yeah. 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 It's, it's ramping up though. Like second week of January, we're going to get, get back into it. So right. everybody hold your horses cause we're going to be galloping through these TV and film streets. Galloping through the content. So now that, now that we've established we're horse girls, uh, what, what sure. did you watch this week, Jenny? Uh, so I watched the flight attendant, which is on HBO max. I think a lot of people might have heard about it at this point. Um, it got a lot of uh, attention and buzz, I think, especially in December. To give a brief recap, The Flight Attendant, it was originally announced as a limited series. No longer true, but we'll get into that later. Um, it stars Kaylee Cuoco as Cassie, a flight attendant slash party girl slash kind of functioning alcoholic who suddenly finds herself in like the worst shit imaginable after she wakes up one day after one night stand with a passenger in Bangkok and discovers that the guy was murdered in the bed next to her and she doesn't remember anything about the night. Of course, we can all relate to that. Uh, so sure. <laughs> sure. So this is based on a 2018 novel by Chris Bakjalian. And the show, like I said, it came out in late November. The buzz started building up in December. And it was a big hit, actually. Like, virtually all the critical response has been really positive. And yeah, I watched it in December. I had to sit on it for a little while because, like, hearing all this hype from, you know, peers or people I know or critics I respect... It took me some time to come to terms with, like, why I didn't really love it. Like, despite all these rave reviews, and it made me question, like, yeah. what am I sort of missing or what's going on with taste lately, which is always a fraught question. But yeah, what about you, Helen? You watched it, right? Yeah, I watched it around the same time you did, and I immediately hated it. Okay. Like, I, I knew I didn't like it within episodes two or three. 
but I kept watching it because I was just trying to understand what everyone was on about. Okay. Straight up. Yeah. Um, and then when I finished it, I was like, so what the fuck were we all smoking and where can I get it? <laughs> but you did finish it. I did. I, I, I did finish it because I just, I truly was just like, I don't know. Is there like a coupe de grasse at the end that I'm just completely fucking missing? And maybe <laughs> if I get to that, then it's just genius. Yeah. Um, and no, no, that I, that never happened. Yeah. Um, and I also had to sit on it the same as you because it was just like, I, was, I don't know if it was like secondhand embarrassment <laughs> um, for other people. That sounds mean, but I don't know what else to call it, basically. Okay, so I guess we might be the lone dissenters or public dissenters or mavericks in this case. Um, but yeah, the same sort of feelings. And when I thought about, you know, why I was having this reaction, like why I felt this way about this, the series, at the heart of it, it's a question of character. So this series is, it's like a, it's a caper, it's a crime thriller mystery series. Um, but like the core of it, the beating heart of it is character study, essentially, of Cassie, this character played by Kaylee Cuoco. And, you know, if it, the heart of it is character study, what happens if you can't stand the character exactly yeah and i think it's like not it's not like they missed on making her like a likable character like they definitely went into it imbuing her with a lot of flaws very visibly that play a huge mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. in you know the plot the storyline and how everything unfolds you know there's a re- review on vox by alex Abad santos and he had this these couple lines i thought were good but then i disagreed with it said to love the flight attendant is to hate its protagonist but here's the dark magic of the flight attendant i still want to see this fantastically inept person succeed and i was like yes yes i agree agree and then no hard disagree i just yeah I, I i truly wanted her to face the consequences of her stupid fucking decisions right so let's at, like, like at various steps yeah and it just never happened so let's like break down you know part of what makes cassie a flawed character which in some people's eyes i guess is a positive in our eyes we were like that is a little bit too much she yeah just makes wrong decision after wrong decision. Like every single time there is any possible decision to be made, she chooses the wrong one, despite everyone's urging and advice around her, including, you know, her best friends who help her throughout this whole thing. I mean, a lot of her flaws stem and like her bad decision making, they stem from trauma, like childhood trauma to be sure. And, you know, her alcoholism that has basically been in place since childhood. But still, it's like, when you think of what makes an audience root for a character, there is usually like some thread of relatability or redeeming quality or vulnerability or like moral, you know, righteousness or even just being a kind of person who takes action and makes things happen for themselves. And here, you could argue that she has vulnerability. She's had, you know, great loss and great trauma in her past. She does take action, although every single action she takes seems to be kind of the wrong move that somehow serendipitously becomes the right move by the end of it. But I don't know. This was just like, I just couldn't stand watching her. So the thing about the show is that it does recognize that and it acknowledges it throughout the show like right. it, whether it's through their the best friends telling her what she what it is that she's doing wrong whether it's like her admitting to it yeah it's definitely it com- aware of it, it completely is aware of yeah. it yeah but it, it's just that simply is not enough for me 
Right. I, I just... Let me just kind of break down my issue with it. Yeah. A pro- so a protagonist that is the enemy of their own progress is a perfect protagonist. Mm-hmm. That usually makes for a fantastic film for the most part. If you want to see the perfect encapsulation of that, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, perfect. Mm, like, yes. That guy doesn't do one single thing right it's fucking stressful however fantastic film great character love him to death the issue with this show is that the reason why she's doing it is not worth her being the enemy of her own progress this is someone that she has met for one night so this is like i'm not giving anything away this is someone that she's met for one night she had a magical night with this person sure but the trouble that she's going through for this person just doesn't seem believable to me. It just does like, I know that it's like camp and like out there and whatever, but like, if you don't have me from that very beginning as to why this person is doing it, I'm not going to believe anything that you do beyond that, especially not if it's at that character's own detriment. Like, so mo- that's one. Yeah, motivation is such a big, like essential part of any sort of character study or creating a realistic character. You know, even if the movie is camp, even if it's, you know, satire or absurdist or all of these different qualities that might lend it a little bit more room to play around. The yeah. to have like a believable world and believable character, yeah, the motivation is a big part. Clearly this was like yeah, like you said, it's a guy she met. The hole she keeps digging for herself, like I don't think it should have even been dug to begin with unlike with Not uncut gems at all. like it, and and the second part about it that i hated <laughs> and this is this is just me being a fucking dickhead screenwriting snob um if you are using hallucinations to try and get through the interiority of a character then that's fucking lazy writing and i'm sorry <laughs> i've like don't get me wrong i've never i've never been a showrunner i've never made a tv show completely admit that but the problem is if that's the way that we get inside this person's head even though it's creative or even though it's fun i personally don't like it Mm -hmm. i think that is veering on patronizing like i felt patronized as a viewer and i don't know it just it just felt lazy it felt like lazy storytelling it felt like a lazy understanding of this character and the fact that she's talking so spoiler alert the fact that she's talking to this dead guy in this different part of her brain I don't understand it. I, I I truly don't. Like, we understand that she's a functioning alcoholic and maybe this is a result of her trauma, but I don't understand how someone will have an entirely different character in their head that they make up off of someone that, again, she just met him for one night. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, it didn't have me from the beginning. And there was no way of coming out of that because, like you said, with her, like, digging the hole that she's digging for herself, the way that the, this series carried on, it was digging a hole for itself as well. So... I might not have liked it. I knew I didn't like it from episode two or three, but by the end of the season, I hated it. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) and, and I don't believe for a second that this was a limited series. Oh no, Um, they definitely planned. They absolutely knew that it was going to be renewed for a second season because of what fucking happens at the end. They set up basically an entire arc for a secondary character and that is going to be the next season, presumably. Um, which is like very frustrating if you are billing this as a limited series when you're patently not exactly like you can't tell me that you're not going to show me your tits and then show me a little bit of nipple (laughs) anyway basically i i understand like i truly do understand why people like this show i really do it just it it is like categorically not for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
that's it pretty much for the reasons that I just listed that's fair um was there anything that you liked about it I guess there you know the campiness I think there was a lot of potential in that and the kind of over the top you know the way they 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 filmed it and did like split screen and the different stylistic choices and and music and stuff like that I thought it looked great yeah it looked good I kind of like wavered whether or not I really liked uh, Kaylee Cuoco's performance or not. I thought there was potential in like the the cast of secondary characters, although they didn't flesh them out, you know, nearly as much as they could have been or anything to like sort of do justice to these characters. So, I mean, there, there was definitely like the, the potential for me to like a lot of these things, but they just paled in comparison to just the frustration of watching this character, Cassie, like blunder her way through this and you know not just blunder her way through this because plenty of you know shows and 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 movies and stories have these characters who do get in their own way but you know in those cases like uncut gems for example like you mentioned that's a perfect example you know he keeps digging this hole howard but at the end it's not to like a good result spoiler if you haven't watched uncut gems but he he suffers the ultimate punishment yeah he suffers the ultimate punishment to put it tactfully that is how it works but here you know it takes on this sort of like fairy tale aspect in a way where her actually making the wrong decision at every move is what ultimately leads her to solving an entire like international crime thing and it is like a secret power that the more mistakes she makes that logically are going to get her killed. Um, Instead, it sort of works out in the best way possible for her. I don't know. I wish there was like, there's this sort of like line between, you know, I do want there to be room to make complex, flawed, very human characters, especially women. You know, like Mm -hmm. some people pointed out, this is like kind of a unique show for the, the protagonist being a woman and being this fucked up versus like creating characters who are just unbearable to spend time around. Like you don't, People like yeah. me and you, at least, just like don't want to watch them. And for, as a character, I, I can, I, yeah, like her trauma, it creates like an interesting backstory and explains a lot of, you know, what led her to where she is now. But it's not like it doesn't absolve like everything that sort of happens every like later, and it's not powerful enough of just like a thing to sweep away every other thing about a characterization that um, is just impossible to deal with. The thing about having trauma as like the reason why someone does something that they shouldn't be doing is like just because you suffered from trauma doesn't mean that you're a fucking idiot. And that's the part where I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Like there's a point where it explains that she kind of runs towards the accident because she's like fascinated by the chaos Mm -hmm. or whatever. And like that's like the justification for that. Maybe if it was the first thing that she did wrong and then she was trying to fix that or like kind of stop the hemorrhage of what she did wrong initially then fine but she just keeps like the, the wound just keeps gaping bigger and bigger and bigger and it, that's the part where you're just like so you're just missing a couple of brain cells like I don't know what's going on right um, and if and like it, you said like if the wound keeps getting bigger you you would think that it would actually like irreversibly hurt her at some point but right you know there is right. like a it, that never is, happens right there's like sort of the low point where she feels abandoned by her friends and her family but that that is resolved like pretty quickly like people yeah. get back in her side she gets a yeah. sidekick she needs she's equipped with everything she needs to sort of finish off this this mystery yeah so it just feels like they're yeah there aren't that many stakes that we take um seriously yeah i did like the dialogue of the friends Mm -hmm. um 
I think it's Zoja Mum. Is it Mamet or Mamet? Oh. The girl from Girls. What's her name again? Uh, Zoja, I don't know how to pronounce it. Mamet, Mamet. But yeah, she she was Shoshana on Girls. Zoja Mamet is amazing. She's Uh, great in this. I love her dryness. Yeah. I think that's just like, she doesn't know it, but she's probably British. (laughs) Because... Yeah. Um, but she talks like a real person and the way that she talks with Cassie is also really like you can tell that they're friends and I thought thought that was like kind of carried off really well was a little bit perplexed by the Rosie Perez character oh um, for sure don't know where that's going but love seeing Rosie Perez on screen anytime like <laughs> in, yeah. I think she did good with what she had to work with yeah. um, but I don't know man people loved it and um, I don't know if it's just because this was something different. It's certainly different. It is different. That's for sure. Like that, that I will give it that. Like it's for sure. There's nothing really like it that's on TV. I think so. Well, a lot of people compared it to Search Party. That's another show that I watched the pilot of. And I was like, nope, not for me. Um, so <laughs> um, similar in that it's just a bunch of annoying fucking characters linking up to do stupid things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, so... Maybe I just don't like this type of show. Um, I will say, I think Kaylee Cuoco is a good comedic actress. Oh, yes, definitely. And I'm glad she's like getting to, you know, flex her muscle a little bit beyond the multi, multi, multi million dollar confines of the Big Bang Theory. Yes, because fuck that show. But yeah, that's, I'm sorry to break it to everyone, but we, this does not get the criticism <laughs> is dead uh, stamp of approval. Yeah. Um, Feel free to, uh, I don't know. I guess you can yell at us if you want, but I'll just delete whatever message you send to us. No, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> um, I'm never going to change my mind. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so that that's us on The Flight Attendant. Um, like I said, it has been renewed for a season two and maybe we'll subject ourselves to the unpleasant pleasantness of watching that if you are like us and you would like uh more unlikable female characters on shows that aren't as annoying as this one i would recommend the girlfriend experience season one with riley keogh she is very unlikable uh it's certainly a darker show so i'd recommend that cool so now your turn what did you watch this week palin um, so I watched Lupin, aka Lupin. Ah, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah, on uh, Netflix. So Lupin is, we're not going to do the French accent. Throughout the whole maybe. thing. I mean, okay. I mean, maybe we will. Fuck it, let's go. Uh, Lupin is une <laughs> <laughs> production française. Oh, Ec- Ec- no, sorry, I'll stop. Yeah, so Lupin is a French production. It's co-written by George Kay, who's a British writer that wrote on a couple episodes of Killing Eve um, and also produced the second season of Criminal, which is also a Netflix show. So it's it's co-written by George Kay and also Francois Uzan, who's a French writer. So it's like a joint French and UK production. It's about a gentleman called Hassan Diop, who is a suave thief slash tech guy that is a master of disguise, um, <laughs> who is out to seek justice. And he's played by Omar Sy. So you will know Omar C from uh, Les Untouchables, aka The Untouchables. So Hassan, the character in, in Lupin, is uh, he's emulating his childhood hero, Arsène Lupin, a character in Maurice Leblanc's novels in the early 1900s. Who and, and Arsène Lupin is also a gentleman thief and a master of disguise. There have been... Have you? Did you ever hear of Arsène 
we found before this show. Yeah. Have you heard of him? I yeah? actually, not from like the original novels, but I did watch um, at one point, you know, one of Miyazaki's earliest film, maybe his very first feature length film, mm-hmm. um, Hayao Miyazaki. He did um, a sort of film about, you know, Arsene Lupin. And that is like my first exposure. That was, it was called Lupin, Lupin the Third or something like that. Yeah. So I, I actually didn't know anything. Don't know anything about the other versions. Love this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and all credit to Omar C for his performance. He's fantastic in it. So in terms of like the themes, to kind of bring it back to the the reference and like the the reference of the novel and the character, that gentleman thief is actually based on a real person who was basically the same kind of thief and his name was Marius Jacob who was basically an anarchist from France he only stole from what he calls social parasites <laughs> so like judges bosses soldiers clergy and him and his band of men worked at night and they swore to never kill or hurt anyone uh, but any thievery that he did commit he did with a lot of humor and inventiveness um so that's the context for this and it's important because the the way that this show handles it especially with regards to Asan Diop like the character he is an starts off as an immigrant kid from Senegal grows up in obviously in France which is one of the snobbiest European countries in the world like since the dawn of time (laughs) and that subversion I think works really well with regards to his motives and why he became or why he wants to emulate Arsene Lupin basically yeah and also in the way that he pulls off some of like his escapades like Mm -hmm. being a black guy um being an immigrant you know working in these spaces that are very rich very white um it's just like yeah very clever uh and really exciting subversion of that character yes so yeah and like much like the much like Arsene Lupin he skirts the law he finds the loopholes he figures out a way to get away from a very sticky situation and he pulls off some of the most fun heists that I've ever seen on TV in recent times to be honest I think Mm -hmm. the pilot is incredible and I had so much fun watching it like just it just pulls you in from like immediately yeah and so to to talk about like the structure of the season it's split into parts. I don't know exactly how many parts total they're going to be. I'm assuming two. Yeah, I part think one it's is two total ten episodes. Yeah, so part one is uh, five episodes, and then part two will be the, the the remaining five. Don't know when part two is going to come out, but I I just I just love this show. I think it like talking about motives. The motives are there. The motives are pure. He's trying to avenge his father's death and not by any bad mind means like he just wants people to admit the thing that they did wrong so that his father's innocence is proven and the people that he's doing it against are truly abhorrent people yeah sign me up like (laughs) are you kidding like uh what did you what did you think of it because i finished part one you're two episodes in right yeah yeah like you i really love it i can't wait to watch the rest of it i have a soft spot for heist i think um ever since I think a kid watching yeah. Ocean's Eleven, I think, was maybe the first real heisty film that I saw. Yep. Um, yep. So just love a pure, like, fun, uh, clever heist. And this is full of it so far. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the rest yeah. of the episodes go, but at least one and two, like, just watching the kind of twists and turns and just like, damn, this guy did that. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm I'm really into it. Yes, it does continue that way. I'll okay, good, good. Every every episode is gold. Obviously, I think there's only one point that doesn't make any sense to me. I won't say what it is, but it comes in the penultimate episode of part one. 
But other than that, like everything else just works out amazingly. I've got to say that the fact that part one ends on a cliffhanger, like the end of episode five ends on a complete cliffhanger. Oh. Fucking yes. Bring back the cliffhanger, dude. (laughs) I also want to say that this is a fantastic uh, example of what happens when British and French forces join. Uh, obviously, <laughs> this allies. is uh, the well. Hey, <laughs> just uh, just wartime allies. Other than that, we fucking hate each other. Understandably, like I think it's more of like a white people business. However, this is a perfect example of how British crime TV is premium. Mm. No one can touch us. Maybe maybe the Danes. The Danes are really good with crime TV as well, mm-hmm. but no one can come close to British crime writers. And then also the charmingness and the lightheartedness of French TV. You bring these two together. There you go. You got Lupin. Like, it's fantastic. Love it. I would also like to celebrate how much the theme of this is really speaking to me right now. Like, it's fantastic that this is based on a real anarchist. But if you don't know anything about anarchy as like a movement, sounds scary. Not that scary, actually. (laughs) So... If this is like an easy way for you to kind of understand anarchy as a concept, as a political movement, um, sure. Obviously that's a reach, but it does kind of showcase how you can be a thief and not be a completely terrible person. I love how crime and criminality is kind of seen as a little bit more flexible as it should. I think that's very timely. I hate saying that word, but in terms of like, is is it right or wrong just because the law tells you so? What does justice look like? And, you know, showcasing that and how flexible that can be, especially with regards to moral and ethical questions. Um, Who is the one doling out the justice? Who is the one on the receiving end of it? This is like, it covers all of these themes, which, you know, seem really heavy. And don't get me wrong, this isn't it's not the most lighthearted. There are some dark themes around it. But I think it's, I mean, I wouldn't say brave because fuck that. But like, I think it's interesting that Netflix is tackling this, especially France. Yeah. Like France is, fuck me, like the ultimate respectability nation. I don't know. It's, I'm surprised. I'm taken aback by it. Yeah. I mean, the theme, it, it is both timely of this moment, but also timeless, right? Like it goes, Yeah, I'm sure like kids, exactly. some of their earliest exposure to this was like Robin Hood um, and yeah, how that yeah. still resonates like to this day. Yeah. Saying all of that, obviously France ha- does have a fantastic undercurrent of uh, civil unrest with regards to unions and the strength of unions are very, very important in France. So they do understand what it means to be working class and what that means. But I think race has always been a little bit more contentious in that country so to have Omar C be the you know the protagonist for this and for him to be obviously so first of all hot (laughs) and secondly like a James Bond type where he just like commands the screen it's just really satisfying of a watch and I would recommend everyone to watch it and you know like I think Netflix has done a really good job of expanding out into the international market and this is kind of like the cream of that dark is another babylon berlin obviously but with regards to france if you are like on a french wave and you want something a little bit more light-hearted that you can get through i'd also recommend call your agent which is more comedy but that's another fun time so yeah good for them this is great i'm glad they're doing this i'm excited for part two hope there's a season two 
So now for culture notes, we actually wanted to talk about something that has been circulating in the Twitter sphere for quite some time now. Uh, and the tweet, I guess, that encapsulates this is from someone that I know through the internet, the writer, author, Bolu Babalola. Um, so she tweeted that not enough on-screen romantic couplings have chemistry these days. It's not enough to both be hot. <laughs> I agree completely. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I agree with this too. I mean, just like thinking of things that we've watched recently, mm-hmm. Bridgerton comes to mind, yeah. like the chemistry or lack of chemistry on there. In fact, it's like hard of me to think of the last thing I saw that really was like buzzing with chemistry. Maybe like I rewatch Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Of- oh, Hell like yeah. half a year ago maybe and that's chemistry yeah they, they, these are not only two people that are hot but two people that are very comfortable with their hotness and have now understood that they want to fuck each other that's, which is literally what happened with with that movie i would actually also say carrie russell and matthew reese oh which is yeah. another perfect example of like they had so much chemistry that they had to boil into real life and now they're basically married yeah it's tough man it's hard out here to find chemistry yeah and i think it sort of touches also on theme or a point or a pattern that has been like circulating in in film and tv where you know the bar for hotness has been raised now it's like at this weird bar where everyone has to be hot or like some someone's idea of like conventional hotness yes so, like, across the board, people are more beautiful looking, I guess, Barbie looking at least. Yeah. But in so many cases, there is this, like, palpable lack of the the chemistry, the heat, the fire, some of the organic, you know, tension and stuff that has to happen for these romantic pieces to, like, take off, seriously. Yeah. How much of that do you think is because of... This was also a discussion that was happening online where, like, sex is not really on camera anymore the way that it used to be. Um, How much of that do you think is a part of it? Because, you know, obviously, like, sexual thrillers were, like, a whole fucking thing back in, like, the 80s and 90s. None of that anymore, not really. Sex on TV is also not as much anymore. It exists, don't get me wrong. Like, normal people just came out normal people has some of the hottest sex scenes that we've seen on you know on screen you know i'm tempted to say yes except like thinking again about bridgerton which we talked about in our Mm -hmm. last episode like there is a lot of sex in that series like more than you know a lot of netflix series or like things of that sort of demographic have yeah and yet it's still not really hot like they're not hot together there's not that chemistry i think quantity is maybe something that people can like pinpoint blame on but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm thinking maybe it's more about like the quality yeah like that's just the assumption that you know hot plus hot equals hot when that's not the case it's not at all at all i think like bridgerton is a perfect example because like it's it has sex but it's like sexless yes in a way there's like one scene that's kind of hot and which one is that it's the one where roger jean page is is telling her to masturbate oh yeah that was hot but that's like like... that's like all him it's tough man it's tough it's very like can i have one cup of chemistry please you know right and like so i rewatched when harry met sally the other day and even though he's like he's ugly as fuck billy crystal's (laughs) fucking great like billy crystal and meg ryan like fantastic chemistry like they're just like bantering off one another and that's i think that's the intimacy that we're missing for the most part it's like that banter that back and forth that's an undercurrent of sexual chemistry especially if like two people are attracted to each other yeah speaking of chemistry a trailer dropped this week of a movie about a couple that's going to drop on netflix sometime soon it's called malcolm and marie 
it stars John David Washington and Zendaya. And it caused quite a bit of a stir because of the casting. What Did you see any of it? Well, I only know like the briefest bit of it, which is like it stems from the fact in part that you know, there's a 12-year age gap between the two leads, like 24 versus 36. And obviously also it has to do with Zendaya and the role she's played in the past and the sort of image she has in the public's eye and, you know, whether she seems like a fit for this role or the right person for this role, again, against um, a much older man. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. Maybe, I mean, again, yeah. like... I think the thing that I'm most curious about is their chemistry because <laughs> I don't know if I don't yeah. know if John David Washington has got it. Yeah. And I I mean too early to tell the film is not out yet. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I guess we'll we'll share our thoughts when we when we watch the film yeah. eventually. Yeah. Bringing it back to chemistry, this is a crisis. Like I know that like coronavirus is fucking up the industry, but the lack of sexual chemistry is also a fucking big problem. So we have to figure out a fix for that. We have to get hornier, but in a smarter way. Yes, we have to be intelligently horny. Uh, great. So that's us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are watching anything that you think we should check out, as always, email us at criticismisdead at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also subscribe to our Substack for extended show notes, including links to stuff we've been talking about and some other bonus stuff. And yeah, thank you again. Please rate review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined um, or tell a friend about us. We appreciate each and every one of you that do we do so much thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week bye bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny ji jong our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew lu 